Hello, 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 everyone. <clears throat> Welcome back to Money Awakenings. My name is Larry Morris, and I am the financial shaman. Ah, today is today. It is something. What are we going to talk about? Well, on this podcast, simply what we do is talk about money. But I've shifted into talking more about business, which is people and how to interact in the business community. Because once you start getting past all your limiting money beliefs, you're following your heart's calling, it's going to run you into your limiting beliefs about other things too. And when you're following a heart's calling in a service or a product that you're trying to put out into the world or something you're trying to create, you know, if you're trying to get off the teat that is uh, jobs and working and trading hours for money, you're eventually going to come into the business community. So it's important for me to start to kind of share with you some insights about business in the way of spiritual or soulful approach, awareness approach, when it comes to business. But first off, let's take a little detour with a little thought experiment. My team, um, ah, it doesn't matter where it came from, somebody brought this up to me the other day, and I couldn't help but laugh and share, of course, my perception. So let's share that now. <clears throat> the perception was... In case, apparently there was some kind of a summit with a, uh, a lot of the uh, richest and most powerful people in the world, Warren Buffett and those type of people. And uh, something was said in, in the thing, or at least this is hearsay, because obviously I wasn't there, didn't read the message or the notes or anything. But apparently, uh, the advice was to keep cash on hand in case the economy stops. To keep cash on hand... In case the economy stops, this is from our most richest and, and powerful people, by the way. If it did actually happen, which my heart says it does, it did. So what that says to me is the richest and most powerful people don't know fucking shit about the economy. What is the economy? The economy is simply the way in which we move resources from the people who have them to the people who need them. That is the economy. Things and services go to the people that need them. That's it. That's economy. So, when you talk about the economy stopping, you're basically saying that there's going to be people who don't need anything anymore. Think about that. Are you going to stop needing food? Tomorrow? No. Then how is the economy going to stop? The only way the economy could ever stop is if all 7 billion, 100% of human beings said, we don't need anything. We don't even need to turn on the TV or the water. We don't need shelter. We don't need shit. We're going to sit in nature and meditate for the next hundred or whatever you know 30 days or whatever and let everything go to like that's not possible not especially not where we are in this consciousness level at this time it's not possible to stop needing things as human beings 
So right there, that shows me that the richest of Arab people don't know what the fucking economy is. It's simply how we move resources from the people who have them to the people who need them. And of course, compensate, ideally fairly, for those things. Now, I don't want to get into value of things and fair, chain, exchange, and all that. That's not what this is about. What I am trying to say is, people are afraid that there's going to be another economic crash. Okay? Now, before we move off of this, though, what is an economic crash? An economic crash, essentially, is when the value of things plummets. That's what a crash means. The value that we have all agreed upon, like, let's say, well, the value of the housing market was $8 billion because, or I'm sorry, $8 trillion at one point when the last crash happened because that was how much debt was owed and the minus of the property values and stuff, so on and that. But basically, it was an agreement of how valuable the American uh, housing market was. It was all an agreement based on how much we lent for it, how much we said the land was worth, how much we all agreed upon. But that value plummeted overnight. Why? Because it was overinflated value. It wasn't real. People were, they were putting people in homes that couldn't afford them. So the value of the asset was overinflated by a lot. And so the economic crash then was the value that we said things were at dropped. But remember that value is simply an agreement. If someone brings me a bar of gold and we have no like market for it, essentially, like just in a hypothetical, it's going to be worth what the two people that the person trying to sell it and the person that wants to buy it agree upon. That's its value. Gold has very little intrinsic value. Meaning, what the fuck am I going to do with it if I can't use it as a currency? It's just metal. Just like any other metal. Now, yes, it has high conductive properties, but I'm not creating wire. So, that doesn't really have a lot of value for me. And yet, people are hoarding gold right now. Because it is something that has had value for a long time. But intrinsically, it's worthless. It's just another metal. Right? Why, does that, why am I bringing that up? I'm bringing that up because we have to see the value of something is what two people agree upon it. And those people have to be wanting to buy and sell it. Right? You can't get... Neat, like, for instance... I, let's see. I'm not in the market for a new car right now. At all. Like, I have a a super nice truck and my RV. I have two vehicles at this moment. But even if you, like, tried to sell me a Ferrari or a Tesla, I don't need it. And I'm not in the market for it, and I don't want it right now. So even if you sold me a Rolls-Royce, a Benz, whatever it was, a Tesla, Ferrari, whatever, you would have to drop the price dramatically low for me to want to buy it. Because I don't want it. It's almost impossible to get somebody to buy something they don't want. Right? So I'm not a good person to set the value of the car. Because someone says, I have a Tesla that's normally 50 grand. I'm going to sell it to you for 20 right now. I'd be like, $20? Because that's probably what I would pay for. I don't want it. So it's not just what two people agree upon. It's the person buying and or selling. 
they have to agree. You have to find people who want both, right? So let's keep going. If I was, uh, let's stay with the car analogy. What if someone wanted to buy and was willing to pay a lot, but I didn't want to sell? Someone's like, for some reason, I don't know why, just fell in love with my RV. And like, I want to buy it from you. Yeah, I don't want to sell it. I'll give it to you a million dollars. I don't want to sell it. It's mine. I've done a lot of upgrades to it. I love it. I don't want to sell it. So they could drive the price way up. But if I don't want to sell it, there's no agreement of value. (laughs) You see? A value is always an agreement. Value is always an agreement in... Excuse me. When it comes to exchanging... When it comes to exchange, value is always an agreement. There's a very, very big difference between some a person's value versus something that we buy or sell. Okay, I want to make that very clear. So this is not about a person's value or what someone thinks they're worth. That is a totally different thing that I'm not going to talk about right now. I've talked a lot about how we see our own value and how we accept the value we think we deserve or how we accept the job or whatever it is we think we deserve. And if you raise your value as in how you perceive what value is that you're bringing to the table, you will skyrocket. Like for instance, the more I add value, the more I see my value, the higher my prices are for my services. They might get jacked up again here pretty soon because One of my last clients that I had, after we unblocked her heart, she found like all the energy around her heart was gone. All the the wall, the heart wall was taken down, all the traumas, all the beliefs out of it, all the trapped emotion, all the bullshit story about love and how it's supposed to look. We started to erode all of that. The minute we cleared the energy out of her heart wall, which was, took us, you know, four or five months she found her her soulmate was free to come she met her soulmate four days later now do i contend that that happens every time obviously not everybody's results are going to be different but i know my value so my prices are going to go up that is a different discussion and i've talked about that before what i'm talking about is goods let's just say goods right now not even services let's just say goods so The value of a good, a product, or a thing is always based on the agreement that a buyer and seller are willing to pay for it. Now, on a grander scale, that's what a market is. When we say the gold market or the stock market, a market is filled with people who are wanting to buy and sell and are constantly in a discussion every second of every day of how much the value of that is between people who want to buy and sell it. You go to a gold market, you look at the gold market, it's always based on people who want to buy and want to sell. Stocks are the same, right? So it's an agreement of value. But gold essentially, even if it was worth, I don't even know what the gold prices are anymore. Uh, Let's say the gold prices are worth, um, you know, $10,000 a pound, even though I have no idea what it is right now. But let's say it's $10,000 a pound. Um, That's an agreement of value based on supply and demand. 
right? Based on, okay, if I want it, these are the people who have it, and this is what they are saying. That's economy. The economy means getting people, moving the resources from the people who have it to the people who want it, right? So the people who want it, who want gold, are willing to pay, right now, 10000 a pound. And the people who are selling it are willing to pay, are willing to sell it for that price. That's how a market is created. Does everybody get that? Now, I know it's starting to get windy, and I have no control over that, and it has been crazy windy everywhere, like, this whole spring, like, is one of the reasons why I haven't done so many podcasts, because I love being outside on a walk with you guys, so just bear with it. If it gets too much, I'll stop it and go inside and do it from there, okay? Just pretend you're out on a walk with me, and I'll hold the mic a little closer, too. Maybe that'll help. So, okay, so we have... That's what, that's what a market is. People agree. Now, an economic crash, as we call it, is simply when the value, which is an agreement, plummets, changes negatively, changes the thing. So if someone, for instance, came in and we found a, like, let's say we, we found a new Fort Knox of gold. And, like, let's say I found a new Fort Knox of gold. I found some random... Uh, you know, door into a cave and it had all these already processed bars of gold left over from some war or some shit, right? And it, and I wanted to sell it all. That would flood the market. And therefore, now we'd have more supply, more people wanting to sell it than demand, and that would drop the price because I'm willing to sell it for less than 10,000 just to get rid of it, a 10,000 a pound just to get rid of it. I might sell it for nine or eight or five if I just want to move it, right? So that would flood the market and therefore the value would change. What I'm trying to say is the value of a good or a product is based on the agreement, which is based on other factors like supply and demand, but it's still just an agreement of value. Let me give you an example. I've talked about this before. Diamonds are intrinsically worthless. They're just rock. It doesn't fucking matter. But we have they the De Beers Corporation, which has a monopoly on diamonds, has created fake scarcity to drive the value up and brainwashed over the last 100 years, 150 years or so, <clears throat> has brainwashed the, the minds of the U.S. population, which then also went to Europe and other countries, that this rock was important to show a symbol of love so then now there's more demand for it right they brainwashed people into giving a demand that they jack up the prices on fake scarcity and now a piece of glass essentially well maybe i mean we can make glass but we can't really make diamonds but point is like a rock essentially is now worth whatever it is a carat 20,000 a carat or whatever it is I don't know I don't know diamond prices either so the point is the value is based on a number of factors but it's still just an agreement from someone willing to pay versus someone willing to sell it okay so when we talk about an economic crash, it just means the value that we agreed upon for some reason, not always the same reason, but for some reason the value of what we've all agreed upon plummets. 
That's all it means. Now the value of your dollar is less valuable. You buy a loaf of bread for a dollar, now it's two dollars. Now it's less valuable. That dollar. That's what an economic crash is. The value disappears. Because it was always an agreement. And so some factor made it less valuable and that's why it crashes. So when we talk about an economic crash, and there's been a lot of economists saying that we should have had one probably right around the time of COVID. Like 2020, everybody was waiting for the crash to happen because they have every, they um, happen every eight to 12 years on average. Well, it was 2007, 2008, really as most economists say 2008 was when it kind of ended the last crash. So we were on a rebound for 12 years. So everybody was waiting for the bottom to fall out. I even heard so many people were like, I don't want to buy real estate because I know the bottom's going to fall out at some point. Well, we're all waiting for this crash, which again is just uh, people are saying that the value of something is too high and we're waiting, it for, waiting for everybody to now agree that the value is less. That's all a crash means. And so we're waiting for that. And then COVID happened. And then governments started pumping fake money. Well, I mean, it's all fake, really. But they started pumping money into the economy to keep it afloat. And now we're in this weird limbo state where no one knows what's going to happen. We're, we're, we're way off the charts of reservations. Like, we don't have any data to support what the fuck is going on lately. Like, this is new territory. And, and what's fascinating is... We're starting to see that government can just make money, keep things going. It does dilute the value of the money, but not as much as they thought. So this whole idea of like, where's the money coming from? Where is all money come from? Where does air come from? Oh, it's an evaporation of water. Don't get into the science. I'm just saying, where does everything come from? Wherever it comes from. It comes from source. It comes from the universe. It comes from whatever. We made up money. It's a man-made thing. It's a man-made tool to get resources from the people who have it to the people who need it. That's all money is. Now, obviously on the spiritual path, as, as we have talked about, money right now is kind of like a magic wand for manifestation in this reality. But what you always have to remember is even if you're given a magic wand, you're the sorcerer that makes that wand work. Wands don't just do anything by themselves, okay? So it's a tool to get you to your highest, and it, it, its highest purpose is to get you to your highest purpose, right? We know this. But what I'm attempting to tell you is that being afraid of an economic crash is similar to not, hmm, it's, it's kind of similar to being afraid of the sky falling. It is. It's, it's like a fish being afraid of drowning. Wait, the economy's going to crash, so what? People are not going to need food and or shelter and clothing? And we're not going to figure out a way to make that happen? I mean, we can look back through history. Every single time there was a crash, we figured out a way through it. So why would this one be any different? The other thing... Economies can't stop because, again, that would mean no one needs anything anymore. So this billionaire who said 
in case the economy stops, keeps cash on hand, his, has no fucking clue what the economy is. And here's the other thing. If the economy did stop, like full-blown halt, nobody needed anything anymore, or it crashed significantly to where the value, almost there was almost no value in anything, cash would be fucking worthless. Cash has no intrinsic value. It's paper. You can't eat paper. I can wipe my ass with it, maybe. But you can't do anything with paper. Burn it. There's this great story in the finance world. It goes back to, I want to say, Italy somewhere in the last 150 years. I can't exactly remember what economic crash they were on. It was Italy, maybe it was Greece. I'm pretty sure it was Italy or Sicily or one of those. And the, their dollar, which I can't remember the name of right now, hyperinflated. It means it was basically worthless. The paper was basically worthless and the economy had changed so cr- crazy that people went back to what they know. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute, going back to what you know. But um, the story is this someone went to go buy a loaf of bread from the baker and they needed to take a wheelbarrow full of cash to go buy a loaf of bread from the baker. That's how worthless the cash was. And they wheeled, they couldn't get the whole wheelbarrow into the the bakery, so they just set it right outside the door. And then someone stole the wheelbarrow and left the cash. That's how worthless it was. I don't know if that story is actually true, but... It goes to show you that uh, these billionaires who are running the show have no fucking clue what they're doing. Which I already knew, but this is a great story to highlight that. Um, so, is it smart to keep cash on hand, Larry? Ask your heart. Ask your heart. Don't ask me those questions. Ask your heart. I'm not your guru. Your heart is. I am a guide. I will show you my perception of things. That's all. Well, what if this, what if that? Let me say this about an economic crash. If an economic crash happens, that's like 2008, the government won't simply do what it had, did during COVID and have to pump more money into it and bail everybody out again. Because they are so scared of letting it break and then something new rising from the ashes, right? So, which is exactly what capitalism was designed to do. Every time something fails, something new comes to take its place. It's better, faster, stronger. So by propping up failing companies, we're actually not letting the capitalistic economy do its thing and let something new, faster, faster, better, stronger come in. So we're stagnating evolution when we bail out a company because we're so afraid of the, the, the backlash and the ramifications of a crash. But in actuality, since if when you know there's always enough and you know that how evolution works, I would want crashes to happen if, if we let companies die and not, and not bail them out. Bailing out the banks in 08, first of all, showed you that this is a socialistic economy here, not capitalism. Socialism is what is a hybrid of basically the government 
uh, doing everything, kind of like communism, and capitalism. Socialism is trying to be the best of, in between. Before I go any further, I am not capitalistic, socialistic, any of that shit. <laughs> I am for evolution. And what I can tell you is all these isms right now aren't fucking working. Socialism is probably the best we have at this moment, but it needs to evolve as well. Now, why do I say that? Let's take a step back. Every single com uh, economic uh, ism, communism, Marxism, Kenyanism, all that stuff, socialism, their economic theories, economic theories, just like alternating current and direct current are theories of how electrons move through a circuit. Remember, I was an electrician, so I know a little bit about stuff. They're still theories. Even when I was learning it in the early, very early 2000s, like right 2001, when I was learning this, it fascinated me so much that it was still a theory because we don't know how the electrons move in a wire. No one can cut it open and look. We can only measure electricity moving through the results. So what I'm trying to tell you is we have created massive industries, changed the entire way of life, a lot thanks to Nikolai Tesla, based on theory. We don't actually know how this magic energy of electricity works fully. And yet we're able to do amazing things not fully understanding it. It's the same with economy. Economic theory is what capitalism is. Economic theory is what socialism is. It's a theory on how best to do what? What is economy? Economy is moving resources from the people who have it to the people who need it. Economic theory, then, is what is the best way to go about moving uh, uh, things from people who have it to, th to people who need it? What's the best way to go about doing that? And it's always a theory. It's a guessing game. We're testing and adjusting, testing and adjusting constantly. And so when someone is diehard capitalism, I know it's brainwashing. Because A, diehard capitalists would have been okay with letting the banks fail in 08. Or Lockheed Martin fail, or any other fucking industries we've bailed out. A true capitalist would have let those fail. So when people are like, I'm a capitalism, you know, socialism is terrible, I'm like, you don't fucking know what you're talking about. Because if you knew what you were talking about, you would know that they were theories. And you would also know that a theory can be changed and a theory can be criticized for its results. But if you can't criticize capitalism or socialism or any other ism, then you're brainwashed into believing that it's the best and it doesn't have the ability to evolve. If you're brainwashed to thinking it's the best, you're attached to that this is the best way to do it and fuck everything else, which means it doesn't have the ability to evolve. Just like I'm saying about not letting these companies fail. We don't have the ability to evolve. Nothing new can come in and take its place because we're protecting the old way of doing things. <sighs> okay. So... Why do I tell you all this? Because I'm trying to remove the fear 
of an economic crash. It will most likely happen. But here's the beauty of it. Broke people will always be fine. Because you've been broke the whole time. How much worse can it get? I'm saying that as a joke, kind of. But not really. When you're broke all of the time, like a homeless person, or like someone on the ragged edge, you've become very accustomed to it. Everybody else isn't accustomed to it yet. They'll do whatever it takes to not be homeless. If you're already homeless, like, fuck it. <laughs> economy doesn't matter anymore. You, you, think, you think homeless people give a shit about the economy? Not at all. Not one, there's not one thought about the economy in their heads. Period. Unless it's to be worried that they're going to create more homeless people and somehow they're not going to get their hands out or whatever. But um, they don't care because they're already at the bottom. But it scares the richest of the rich people because they're so afraid of running out. Everybody's afraid of running out. If the economy crashes, people go back to what they know. If it were to go back to like the economy stopping or money being worthless, what do you think is going to happen? Well, most people would say we go back to barter. I would agree somewhat on that. So let's say I have a shitload of medicine and I'm going to barter for something the people that need the medicine have that I need, right? You're going to try to find a spot trade. I need something, you need something, let's try to figure it out. That didn't actually happen as much as historians say it did. What would actually take place if things got really, really bad is debt. IOUs would be the new currency. Technically, IOUs, IOUs are the currency right now. But a uh, 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 $1 is just a promissory note for the U.S. Treasury to pay that IOU. But technically, it would go back to debt. Debt came first, way before money. Way before money. It's how we've always done things. In that, if I want a loaf of bread, I go to the baker and say, hey, bud, I need a loaf of bread. Cool. Here's your loaf of bread. I'll come collect when I need to. What do you do? I'm the chicken. I'm the egg farmer. Cool. When I need eggs, I'll come get them. Awesome. It, it would go back to IOUs. But because of where we are as a society, we don't trust each other. So what would have to happen is we'd have to form tribes, cliques, groups, little communities built all solely on trust, which would isolate the narcissists, first of all, and tell them to go fuck off. Unless, like, basically what would happen is we don't trust the narcissists, so we'd only barter with them on spot trade. And then the people who have good hearts who, who really are looking out for the community and trying to look out for themselves, right, who want to keep their word and be like, I need this loaf of bread. What can I, here's an IOU of anything that I can do for you. Do you know if I can come clean your house on Friday? I'll do it. Like, we would go back to debt and barter. But for goods and services to try to help each other out, we'd have to build more communities, right? You can't just go into a 7-Eleven and pick up milk anymore unless you're trying to spot trade because uh, the guy at the, behind the counter doesn't know you. 
you the only way that the debt system before money came the debt system worked because our civilizations were smaller our towns were smaller our communities were smaller we all knew each other we all trusted each other and it also weeded out a lot of narcissism like people who wanted more than their fair share were told to fuck off go hunt in the woods or only barter with you right so why am I saying all that? If shit really hit the fan, you'd have to get really good at people, wouldn't you? Not working people, that's not what I mean. You'd have to get really good at understanding how to communicate with people, what people need. Like, I would be fucking king, basically, because I understand debt and I keep my word. And I have a shitload of skills, right, that people need. So... I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back. I'm saying that to say your skills would still be relevant. Whatever it is, if it's still energy healing or digging ditches or construction or whatever, it would still be valuable, still be relevant. You would just change the way in which you did or what you received for those skills, right? Instead of here's my PayPal address, I'm sending you an invoice. It would be like, okay, this to me is worth this much. Can we make this happen over time or now or how are we going to make it work? Like you'd have to figure out how to communicate what you need, what you want, and those are two different things, and what you expect. And of course, I just talked about expectations, but when it comes to the exchange, you have to be very clear about what you expect. That's why we have contracts. It's in writing. I mean, yes, could it be done without all the fucking legalese? Yeah, it'd be great. But um, bottom line is contracts are to agree on what we expect from one another. So the exchange, com uh, the exchange community or the exchange system, which is basically what happens in third density on the third phase of evolution with the mind, everything's built on exchange. When you get beyond the ego and you're in fourth density, then you can go into un uh, um, unconditional love and unconditional abundance. But that would still, and some people are tap into that now, but that would still be only if other people were on that same wavelength with you. If none of that, what I've said matters, don't worry about it. What you just need to know is everything runs on exchange now. Even if you're a fucking high consciousness, you know, it's still exchange-based. Now, you can change the game with people in your family, people in your circle, people in your community, people with other high consciousnesses. You don't have to keep it just strictly to exchange, but most of us do. And it works for the most part. I mean, sort of. It needs to evolve, of course, but it, 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 it works. It's not a perfect system, it's a working system. So, you will lean on your skills, even if that skill's just cleaning. Even if that skill's just digging ditches, even if that skill's just being able to lift things, physical labor. Even if that skill's just like, being able to listen to somebody fall apart, right? You would lean back on services or something that you could create, which all of us can do, and we would all figure it out together. What I just ranted about, what channeled through me, what's just so fascinating, is if we really wanted to get rid of narcissists, that would actually be the best thing to happen. Because people that take more than their fair share would be totally told to go fuck themselves. Right now, no one does that. 
Right now we have a real big problem with confrontation, which is exactly what I'm moving into next. So hopefully that silences your fears of the economy. Now we need to talk a little bit about confrontation. There's this really misguided understanding in the spiritual community that to be spiritual means to be passive. Well, that's not true. I guess that's, that's not entire. It's not true based on whatever your definition of passivism is. Passivism simply originally, originally meant nonviolent, which means all confrontations can be handled with words, understandings, perceptions. We can talk through everything. Today, most people hear passivism, the, the definition has changed to non-confrontational. No, 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 no. That's not it. If Spiritual doesn't mean non-confrontational. Because a confrontation happens when one person, actually, I actually would take two, I guess, two people are attached to their perception and want each other or want to be right and make the other wrong. Okay. That's where, where confrontation comes from. Two people attached to their perception that want to make themselves right and other people wrong. Sorry. I was thinking about a confrontation I just had and got on a tangent there in my own mind for a second. Because I am very much obsessed with doing everything I'm telling you guys to do. Like, I want to lead by example. So if I hear myself channel something that comes through me that I'm not doing, I'm going to be like, am I doing that? Just like the last one, or two podcasts ago, I talked about business partners. And it, what came through me, I really had to sit and go, shit, am I doing that? Where am I, where am I doing that that I'm not... If I have someone working for me, I'm not like listening or absorbing what their expertise is. Anyway, uh, anyway, so sometimes I'll pause and be like, am I doing that? But anyway, where was I? Confrontation. Now, if we recognize that confrontation happens between two people who are attached to their perceptions... And saying, no, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, no, fuck you, blah, blah. What we recognize is an ego. An ego doesn't want its singular perception challenged. Right? While the heart, and if you're aligned with the heart, wants an abundance of perceptions. So it allows in everything it hears. But it all runs through the filter of, does this make my heart happy? Does this make me, does it align with me? Does it resonate with me? Right? I listen to everybody's perception. I discard 90% of them. Because I run them through the filter of my heart like, nope. Like, let me give you an example. Um, Let's see what... Well, basketball is on right now while I'm recording this. And I'm a Golden State Warriors fan. I'm from California, San Francisco area. Uh, technically a little bit south, w- w- east. But anyway, it doesn't matter. I've lived in the city and 
lived in the Bay and lived all over California. So I'm a Niners, Warriors, Giants fan uh, on the big three. And I like the Sharks and the, and the Knights for hockey, if I watch hockey. And the um, point is, there's a lot of talk about Steph Curry right now. And there's a lot of difference of opinions. Well, I have my own opinion, but I also know it's tainted on my bias of loving the team he's playing for. So not only is he one of the best in the world, if not the best shooter in the game right now, and possibly moving toward argument of best shooter possibly ever, because he's changed the game so much in that no one ever took three-point shots four or five steps behind the line until he came along, uh, unless they were fluke-like shots. My point is, other people have opinions and perceptions of Steph Curry, right? And I listen to all of them. I listen to all of them, and I'm like, that one resonates with me, I understand what you're saying. And it's not just the ones that, like, agree with me, either. It's the ones that my heart says, okay, I need to look at that. Like, you know, they talk about when they win championships, they're really good at defense, not just offense, which, of course, is anything. But point is, and if you're like, I fucking hate sports, I don't know where this analogy is going. All I'm saying is I listen even if I disagree. Because to not listen to anything else besides your perception is denial and is brainwashing. Remember one of the hallmarks there's four major ways to know you're brainwashed. One of them, of the four major ways, four major ways, five minor ways to know you're brainwashed. One of the major ways is if you only have a singular perception of a situation or a person or a thing. Singular perception only benefits the ego. So you want multiple perceptions of everything to see it fully. Think of it like this. If I was looking at um, Steph Curry or if I was looking at a human... I only have the one perception of the front of the, I mean, if they're looking at me, I only have, the, I can only see the front of them. I would have to put a mirror behind them to see the back of them. You see what I'm saying? So that's two perceptions. I have the mirror that's behind them over their shoulder, and then I have my eyes, right? Or you could say, I have a perception of them, and they have a perception of themselves that they tell me. And so this is why we say everybody's our mirrors. Because Steph can't, or the person I'm looking at can't see their behind them either. But I can't. Right? So multiple perceptions help you. Because, you know, what if my, what if I can't see that there's some, like, I don't know, dead bug on the back of my head? I need, I need another perception for that. How do you see blind spots? without other perceptions, without mirrors, without different things that you need, without looking your head over your shoulder, right? I'm talking about driving. But like, to see blind spot, you need multiple perceptions. But all of them need to be run through the filter of your heart to see if those are the ones that you want to keep or not. Because if someone says to me, Steph Curry sucks, I'm like, first of all, that's destructive criticism. That's not really helping anything. And second of all, okay, why do you believe that? Oh, I don't really know. I just think he's overhyped. Okay, well, I mean, you can't argue with the stats of the championships. But the fact that, you know, they've gone to six finals in eight years. But, like, so, like, I can hear the other perceptions. 
And then I can go, okay, I see where you're off. I've, I've talked about this before. If someone, if I believe one, one plus one is two, and someone believes one plus one is eight, I don't not listen. I want to hear how they got to that train of thought. I want to hear how they fucked up. I don't just go, no, you're wrong, and then move on. Because I'm here to help. It helps all of humanity to help one person see a blind spot in a way that actually gets through their ego. Their impenetrable wall of the ego. Impenetrable wall, not, not impenetrable wall of the ego. It is a penetrable wall unless you're a narcissist or a pessimist is pretty tough to get through as well or a sociopath, obviously. But anyway, point being, if I help one person see a blind spot, it helps all of humanity. Because we all one organism. And we are all one organism constantly looking at ourselves for blind spots. For new ideas, for new thought, for new conversation, for new exploration. Okay, so to believe we're never going to have confrontation and be passive in this new definition, not the old definition, I'm going to say the difference is the violence, right? I am very much nonviolent. I do not believe in violence because that's a brain, that's how you know you're brainwashed. That's one of the ways. If you're violent for any reason, violence always means someone had a perception that they or something they loved was under threat. You cannot be violent if there's no threat, unless you're a psychopath or something. <clears throat> um, but tip the average person outside of that, they only reach to violence when they feel threatened or they feel that something is under threat that they love or are attached to. So to be threatened means what? You're aligned with the only part of that can be. The eternal part of you cannot be threatened. I'm eternal. How are you going to hurt me exactly? Doesn't mean I don't feel pain. It just feel, it means like, what exactly is under threat? Well, the body is under threat. That's how I know the body's not real. I'm not the body. I'm the conscious awareness that is bringing the body to life. Anything, what's that line from the Course in Miracles, right? Nothing real can be threatened. Nothing unreal exists. I wouldn't have used that last line. I would evolve that to nothing real can be threatened. Which means if you're under threat, you're aligned with the not real part of you, the false story, the fake self. But my money can be threatened. First of all, there's always enough and it's not technically my money. So you're not really worried about the money being threatened. You worry about your future or paying the bills or making sure there's a roof over your head or food to eat. That's what you're worried about when your money is threatened. It's not the money. It's the things that you think money will bring you because you forget that you're the sorcerer. Not the, you have the power, not the wand has power. The wand has power when you, as the sorcerer, take up the wand and work together as a co-creative experience to make some magic happen. Otherwise, you let go of the wand, you sit the money in the bank, nothing happens. You need the sorcerer, and it needs you, and the wand needs you. 
to make magic happen. Anyway, if that's above where you're at, that's okay. Moving on. The nonviolence is what we want. We want nonviolence, not non-confrontation. To believe you're not going to have a confrontation is to believe you are never going to be attached to another perception and never come across any other person who's attached to their perception. Here's what you need to know when you come across confrontation. Two things. First, magic words to live by. I disagree. Neutralizes all confrontation. It neutralizes it because the need to agree is how you win an argument. You need to see things the way I see it. I'm going to get loud and angry until you agree. That's what they're saying with confrontation. You need to think the way I think so that it validates me and I don't get upset that my singular perception is being challenged so my ego feels safe. That's all confrontation is. I disagree says to them, I see your perception, I see my perception, I'm choosing mine. We don't have to agree. We don't have to see eye to eye. Confrontation over. Done. I see your perception. I read it through the filter of my heart. My heart wants to go with mine, and I'm going to let you have yours. You believe one plus one is eight. I believe one plus one is two. Good luck with you on that. Be well. Good journey. Done. Think about it. The last time, think about the last time you got in an argument. How badly you wanted them to see your point of view. Let that go. They don't need to fucking see it. They don't need to know one plus one is two. They don't need to know all you know. They're exactly perfectly where they are on the path. Which means you have to be okay with them disagreeing with you to be able to disagree with them. You also have to make sure that you are open to being wrong because that's exactly what you're asking someone else to be. It is fucking hip. I see it all the time. It is so hypocritical to say, I need you to see what I want you to see and then not see what they want you to see. I had this discussion. One of my clients has a narcissist in their life and we're working on all the things that I, I heard you. Yeah. And we're working on all the things that would put them or would want, you know, we're working on the brainwashing that would want to have a narcissist in her life. Right. And so it was beautiful though, because all Hypocrites are narcissists, either by trigger, because when you're triggered, everybody who's triggered becomes a narcissist. They become their childhood self that has to be right and throws a tantrum and all that shit. But every time you see hypocritic, double standards of hypocrites, it's always narcissism, every time. And so we were talking about this narcissist to my client, and the narcissist said, well, it's just not fair. I wouldn't, I do, you know, he would never do this for me. 
And she said to this narcissist, well, would you do that for him? Well, no. Well, then what the fuck? This happens almost every time you see a confrontation. You want someone to hear your point of view without hearing theirs. You have to lead by example. There's two ways to neutralize confrontation. Disagreement is one. And detaching from being right is the other one. Let them be right. Okay, whatever you want to do. Don't attach to them needing to fucking hear you out. They don't need to see what you see. They don't need to understand what you understand. They want to argue for their limitations that rich are evil and the government sucks and no no good things ever happen to me and you don't love me and all this other horseshit. Let them have it. Don't rescue them. If you can detach from the need to be right or for them to need to see your way, there's no confrontation anymore. Well, you don't get it, Larry. My dad's a piece of shit and he, he talks down to me and he's trying to tell me to do something I don't want to do with my life. Okay. I'm not saying you have to agree with him. First of all, someone says you have to do anything you don't want to do. That's brainwashing. So all you have to do is disagree. I want you to go become a doctor. You're going to join the military. You're going to do this. No, I disagree. I'm going to do what I want to do. If you weren't so scared of the lack of approval and conditional love from your parent, you could completely disagree, which is why self-love is so important so that you don't get attached to everybody else's opinion of you. Who gives a shit? If your heart's telling you to do something, you got to go that direction. Or suffer. I like to poke fun at Source and be like, you're the ultimate narcissist. I have to do everything you want to do. (laughs) Here's another way to look at it. So let's let's cover our bases. Spiritual, loving, unconditionally loving, open-hearted people who are transforming to be enlightened, to be without ego, are not non-confrontational. They're non-violent. It's not non-confrontational. It's non-violent. And then when you come across confrontation, realize that there's always attachment to being right or having your side be seen. And there's always a need to agree. If you disagree, disagree. Be open to what they have to say and disagree. No confrontation. Detach from the need to be right or for them to see what your point is, confrontation over. Well, you're going to have to go to work to do this, this, and that. I disagree. I don't think I do have to do that. Well, uh, 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 fine, then I'm not going to love you. That's your choice. I'm not dependent on it. You see how masterful 
it is when you cut the puppet strings. It's not, a, it's not about the person that you're in confrontation with. It's about the puppet strings of the ego saying you need to be right and saying the other person needs to agree with you to validate you. They need to see your point of view. No, they don't. They need to understand me. No, they fucking don't. That's ego. And let me give you one last thing. If you know that a confrontation is coming, like you heard my business partner podcast and you're like, shit, I might have to let go of my business partner or I'm going to have to have a, a tough discussion with my lover or whatever. If you can feel confrontation coming, I'm going to give you a little extra credit bonus here right now. Here's what's, what's been working for me is if this is a person that you want to keep in your life, see beyond the confrontation. See beyond it. Don't look at the confrontation as the make or break moment in the relationship. Look beyond it. Maybe it's a month from now. And you, maybe it's a year from now and you can look back at this confrontation and laugh. When you see it that way, you start to be more gentle in your approach. Like this is just another thing that, yeah, it sucks that we have to have this conversation. I wish we already passed this moment, but we're not. And so I have to tell you that my heart is telling you that you're not whatever, or I don't feel valued or, or not, no, no, not that one. Don't use that one. <laughs> or that you're not, in the business partner sense, like I said, you're not living up to what we agreed upon in the exchange. So I have to go my own way. I love you. I definitely want to, you know, still be in your life. But at this point, you know, whatever. What I'm saying is there's a tendency to see a future confrontation that you know you have to have this discussion as the end of a relationship or as a battle or as a war. When you see it as a conversation that you're going to get through with this person, if it's someone you want to get through, like if it's a narcissist and you tell them to fuck off, you know, you don't have to really worry about the future. But like, if it's something that you're trying to get through with someone, see yourself as through it and then come back and be like, okay, so I need to be more gentle because if we're going to laugh about this confrontation a year from now, I need to relax my approach, be more open, listen to what they have to say, be curious, be honest without accusing them or trying to make them feel ashamed like they did something wrong. It's always a good idea, too, to highlight the behavior as what you don't like, not the person. Right? This is a major distinction we have with children don't have with puppies. What I mean is when you domesticate a puppy and you spank its butt for shitting on the carpet, it, it recognizes that it's the shitting that you don't like, not the puppy. When you do the same thing to a kid, it can't discern between the action was bad or the behavior was bad and I'm bad. So you're going to have to make that distinction to these people when you're in confrontation. Look, I love you. That'll never change. I'm always here for you. I will always be your friend. And this behavior where you're trying to tell me that one plus one is eight and trying to force it down my throat and trying to build a company, our company, on this idea that one plus one is eight, I can't abide by. I'm going to have to go my own way. You do you. You have your one plus one is eight. I'm going to be here for you. I love you. But this behavior needs to evolve or I need to move on. Right? Always highlight the behavior, not the person. 
I hope something I've said here today helps you. We are different ducks on the same pond, different clouds in the same sky, different boulders on the same mountain. My unconditional love to you. Good journey, my friends.